Hola. Hello, this call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow, ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow, now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier, thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking... But I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart Food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. Hello and welcome to the Radio Times podcast with me, Jane Garvey, and your favourite and Britain's leading TV <laughs> critic, Rihanna Dillon. Uh, last week, Kellyanne Taylor was here, standing in for me and doing a brilliant job, I'm sure. I went to a beautiful sunny spot in Spain last week for a couple of days and the, you know what, the weather was great. Excellent. Did you get yeah. your bikini out and everything? Uh, I slipped into the one piece. Oh, did you? Um, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, you're looking, you know, a little bit, a little bit. A uh, look, little bit the same. A little yeah. bit the same, yeah. Thanks very much. Okay. What um, factor do you wear? Oh, very much 50, 50 person. Yeah, okay. On my face. On your and face, And then yeah. I like to experiment occasionally with a 30 elsewhere. <laughs> but I don't want to titillate people too much. Right, what are we talking about this week? We have Inside Number 9. It's season 7 of this cult favourite. Um, Netflix documentary Jimmy Savile, a British horror story, which has been on our screens for a little while, but yeah. we wanted to talk about it. Well, still very much the number one British show, yeah. or in Britain, sorry, on Netflix. Um, and I think, you know, again, it's a slight generational thing here. I knew about him and this reminded me of just how terrible it was. But for people of your generation, yeah. a lot of this stuff is going to be new and terrible, I imagine. God knows what it must be like to find out about this stuff for the first time. OK, what else have we got? So when you were away, Kellyanne interviewed Joe Locke, who stars in Heartstopper. We didn't review the series last week because I was saving it for you. So yeah. we're going to talk all about Heartstopper. I'm glad you did, actually. Good. We've also got Noughts and Crosses coming up on BBC One. That is the second series on BBC One of the Mallory Blackman adaptation. And we've got two guests. Uh, Kellyanne Taylor, who you'll know from last week, has interviewed one of the stars of Noughts and Crosses. That is Masali Badouza, who plays Sefi. And Rihanna, this is interesting. You talked to Tan France about his new documentary on colourism. This is Beauty and the Bleach. And here's a clip. I used to say to my siblings, could you imagine how nice it is to walk out of the house being white? 
to not think even for a second about your skin color. And I asked my husband, and I'm uh, almost every friend I have in Utah, and I said, did you ever think ever about your skin color? And they're like, no, how how bloody freeing it must have been to just mm. leave the house thinking, I've got all kinds of problems, but my skin ain't one. Interesting. And it's a, it's a powerful documentary, that one, actually, isn't it? It really is. And I love Town France. I can't wait to kind of delve into this a little bit more. Yeah, he's a very... Um, there's something about his presentation. He just seems like a very approachable guy. And I I, I'm a, I assume that is authentic. That's him. Yeah. Oh, God. He was honestly one of the best people I've ever interviewed. Oh, he was really lovely. Also, I heard a podcast. You say about him being approachable. I heard him on a podcast, I think with Gabby Logan, where he talked about people coming up to him in the street and just picking him up. What? Mainly men. Okay. Physically. <laughs> Physically. Lifting him. Lifting him up. They've never met him before, but they no. just think because he's so sort of quite small and petite and they think that they know him really well through Queer Eye yeah. that they can just literally wrap their arms around him and like throw him in the air. And apparently he they they really injured him once. It was just like fascinating to hear this. People have boundaries. <laughs> they don't. Well, obviously not everywhere. Uh, I'm slightly concerned that this might lead to a spate of small people being picked up as I, one of them myself. I don't, I don't. I wonder whether I'm entirely safe to roam Britain's streets anymore. But then I'm not as popular as Dan, so I might be all right. OK, um, let's get into the reviews then. Um, first up, I feel terrible about this, but I just don't get this. It's inside number nine. <laughs> it's going to be on BBC Two starting on Wednesday the 20th of April at 10 o'clock. Continues weekly for six weeks. Good luck with that. And also available on iPlayer. So oh, you're going to have to sell it to me baby go on do it's it it's so funny because when you texted me I hadn't seen the series and uh, you were like I don't get it what is it this is what <laughs> just, like, really I'm just being honest and I was like oh Jane honestly it's so good and then I watched the first episode and I was like yeah okay I can understand if you've never seen this before this is not a great entry into okay, Inside good. Number so 9 so it's not just me because I was an Inside Number 9 virgin and I'm really <laughs> sorry I just didn't get it so it's an anthology comedy horror thriller series and it's written by and stars Steve Pemberton and Reese Shearsmith from League of Gentlemen Psychoville they have a very specific sense of humour and a huge cult following I think if you're not necessarily in that cult yes. if you don't necessarily watch all of those shows um, on repeat which is what me and my friends and Mike do quite a lot then this might not necessarily be for you so they're all kind of like short plays essentially yeah. half hour they're not connected in any way no okay. apart from the fact that they all take place within some kind of number nine setting so a hotel room a house a compartment on a train or in the case of the first episode a pedalo yes <laughs> with the number nine on the side yes. This first episode is about a group of old uni friends who reunite over 30 years since they first met and it's a little bit more meta this one because it stars mark gatiss who is the loveliest man ever, by the way, and is also part of that crowd, but he's never been in an Inside Number 9 before. Until now. This is very exciting. And Diane Morgan, who I love. And Diane Morgan, who's great. But Mark Gatiss actually did meet the other two at theatre school, so it is very much kind of about oh, that God, friendship. Excuse me while I hear about people disappearing up their own fundament, right? <laughs> um, here's a clip <laughs> on that note. Oh, this is cool, isn't it? It's charming. Three men in a boat to say nothing of the dog. Sorry, say that again. That's uh, Jerome Jerome. Full title. Tell me five minutes. He's calling me a dog. Probably just admiring your puppies. But you said he was... Uh... Oh, no, that's me. Oh, you could never tell. Are you the one that knows Judge Rinder or Strictly? Our paths have crossed. Because Darren said he's going to be at the party. I only said he might be. I only said he might be. 
Well, stranger things have happened at sea. So you were all at school together? No, university. Callum was a medical student. I was reading psychology. Oh, I've seen that. Well, she gets stabbed in shower. Didn't know they'd made a book of it, though. It's, look, you can't deny the jokes in this no, are very she, funny. Diane Morgan is the best thing in it. She really and is. And there's a very funny reference at one point to how miserable the others all are, and she's really glad that she isn't as miserable as them, and she puts it down to the fact that she didn't go to bloody university. university. <laughs> I thought that was really fun. I suppose there is something about people meeting 30 years after university because... You know, by then, if you haven't got close to reaching whatever potential you thought you had yes. back at uni, you're not going to, are you? No, and there's obviously so much so kind much of history happened. and yes, yes and yeah. and kind of resentment has perhaps built up in that time, or just kind of loss about leaving university. Some people still feel that loss thirty yeah. years later because you know that's when they peaked or yes. whatever. I still feel very nostalgic for my university. Oh, I still feel way off my peak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're you're right in it, Jane. That all oh, thanks. Carry on. <laughs> um I do think the script is is very, very tight. It's very funny writing. Um but I think the what they do with Inside Number Nine often they leave the endings a little bit open and I think this particular one is not as satisfying as no. you or I perhaps wanted it to be. Yeah. I mean I have to be honest, I didn't I found some of it funny. Yeah. Um but not funny enough mm-hmm. for me to recommend it to anyone and I did not find it scary at no, all. No, they're not all they're Aren't not all they? horrors. Oh, okay. A um, bit unsettling. Perhaps. Yes, they have elements of kind of really bleak dark things that could happen. Right. And there are some out and out horrors and there are some out and out comedies and there is one um I can't remember exactly which episode it is but they it all takes place in in some sort of Shakespearean pastel hotel so they're all talking in iambic pentameter um it's really rory Kinnear is in that he plays I like him twins yeah. it's, he's you know so i think they they really love to experiment with form and we are on season seven so it feels like they are getting more and more experimental if you go back to season one the first ever episode i think it's called sardines and it is brilliant it has timothy west in it and um also tim key who i know a lot of people love and it's all about a group of people literally playing the game sardines because they're all like bottle episodes they all essentially take place in one location so it has to all be about the writing and all about the characters and you've only got 30 minutes to go through this story each time and i think the early ones are such classics so if you do want an intro into inside number nine go back to the beginning they're all on iplayer you are honestly in for a treat so i can find sardines yes Okay. And I really would. I'd love you to watch that and then tell me what you think of that one. All right, that'll be my homework for the next week. Yes, then. please. See what I can do. Um, okay, so that is Inside Number Nine. Fans will love it. Other people like me may be a trifle baffled, but it's probably our fault. Uh, it starts on BBC Two Wednesday the 20th of April at 10 in the evening. Or you can just gobble up the whole thing on iPlayer if that's what tickles your fancy. Now, to the Netflix documentary, there are two parts to this. It is Jimmy Savile, A British Horror Story. It actually dropped on Netflix a couple of weeks ago now, I think, didn't it? Um, It is, though, as we speak right now, still the leading show on Netflix in Britain. Obviously, a lot of people of my vintage felt we knew enough about Jimmy Savile, didn't want to know any more. So I watched it, if I'm honest, slightly reluctantly. Mm. But I thought this was a job well done. And I'm interested to hear what you think about it. Let's just have a clip from the Netflix show. Ladies and gentlemen, it so happens that I've spent the greater part of my life fixing things for people, you see. So the BBC decided, why not put it all on film, which is why we call it Jim Will Fix It, because we have been getting all sorts of letters in. We've got about 9,000 letters up to press. Go on. Did Jim 
please? Will you fix it to fly like Peter Pan? You want to fly around with Peter Pan? But we did it. Because there's nothing that we can't do. I, there is so much to say about this. Uh, it's deeply unsettling. Um, one of the things this documentary or these documentaries reminded me of was actually what a sweet programme Jim mm. Will Fix It at its best was. Uh, which I've never seen. I've you never know, seen no, an episode. You wouldn't have done, but, you know, 1.20 million people were watching this mm. and I don't think I missed many episodes. I was probably already in, you know, well into my teens. Yeah. Uh, but I just loved it. We would sit down and you'd watch it and I almost, I got to the point where I was going to write in. Really? Because there was something I wanted and, and uh, somebody else, because I wanted to meet um, either Starsky or Hutch. <laughs> and um, you didn't I, care which. I didn't really care which, but I preferred Hutch. I went on to Starsky as it happened. Um, but of course, millions of other young teenage girls had the same thought. So I was never going to be chosen. Mm. So in fact, I saw someone else getting that dream oh. fulfilled. But um, where are they now? Though? Well, exactly. Yes. And I'm here. Um, I, I don't know. What did you think? What did you learn from this that you didn't already know about this horrible British story? And I think it's really interesting that they're calling it a British horror story, because I would... Well, actually, I would like to think it probably could have happened anywhere in the world. But what troubles me about this is the extent to which this guy had just become a part of the fabric of mm. British life. He was hiding in plain sight. He was getting away with some despicable things. And he went unchallenged for decades. I think it's the control that he has over pretty much every institution yeah. that we can think of, like British right. institutions. Yeah. You know, there's and you the didn't monarchy. Know that about him. No, I don't no. think I did to the extent. The monarchy, I think, is a surprise to a lot of people. Um, the media, of course, the hospitals, the schools, and I think that that is such a frightening aspect when you, like you say, the fabric is it's it's so insidious. He was insidious that he was literally in everything yeah. and everywhere. Yeah, I mean, the man had keys to Broadmoor yeah. and had but a this, room there. I, mean, what was I think that's what it is, isn't it? It's about just how implicit everybody in these institutions were also in in, in letting this happen. And it's, you know, the, the fact that we have this journalist who is testament to the fact that his aunt yes, was running a school yeah. for disturbed children, children who had committed crimes. Mm. It was girls, right? It was yes, specifically it was, girls. It was a, the, the guy you're talking about is a guy called Marion Jones who went on to work for Newsnight, actually yes. with a good friend of mine called Liz McKean, who right. features very briefly in the mm -hmm. documentary. There is a shot of Liz and she's died in the last couple of years, actually a brilliant journalist. And I think both Liz and, and Marion were really badly treated, frankly, by the BBC mm. because they wanted to do the story on Savile and were prevented from doing it. Exactly, like the fact that there are so many people that were blocking yeah, I mean, everybody trying to do something about Jimmy Savile. Nobody comes out of this terrifically well, I have to say. Certainly not the BBC, certainly not uh, Prince Charles who thought of him as a friend mm. and, and he spent Christmas at Chequers with the Thatchers. Yeah. You know, this is the kind of level of this guy's prominence mm -hmm. and his intimacy with the people who run the country. Yeah. Absolutely incredible and deeply, deeply disturbing. I have to say as well, um, because of the very nature of what he did for a living, his TV personality, mm -hmm. there's endless footage of him. Yes. Well, that's... the You do literally see him age as well on screen yeah. and yeah. you see... 
Uh, we keep talking about him hiding in plain sight. Well, he was giving off all sorts of clues. And to be fair, there was a, a... I don't know if you remember the scene in... I think it's in the first episode. There are two and they're both worth watching. He's interviewed by Melvin Bragg mm-hmm. on a book show, which I confess I did not remember at all, but it was basically a paperback review show. Mm. And Melvin Bragg, who's, you know, one of, like, Britain's man of letters, yes. says to Jimmy Savile, oh, I really loved your book. I really thought it was a great read. And the book's got a really stupid title, Love is an Uphill Thing, mm. I think is the title. And a woman on the panel, and I've tried to find out who she is. She's called Linda, but we, I don't think we ever discover her surname. She sees through Savile mm. and she really doesn't swallow any of the gibberish she's coming out with. And it's so frustrating because she's one of very few people in these programmes who... Andrew Neil is somebody who tries very hard to put him on the spot. He does. Doesn't quite get Doesn't there. let him speak but wants to say, he kind of wants to get his point across, doesn't let Jimmy sort of come back and... Yeah. And which is, you know, good and bad, I think. Yeah. Because he's really floundering. He is floundering. And and the older he gets and the further away he gets from his marathon charity, blah, 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 Mm. the more people are becoming unafraid about trying to find out what the truth of his life is. Yes. And there was just a moment, there was a flicker during an interview you did with a guy called Russell Harty, who was a TV interviewer, very popular and a very good interviewer, actually, but I must admit I'd forgotten about Russell mm. Harty. And he, there's a, there's a little cutaway to Russell's face after an answer from Jimmy Savile. Mm. And you can see that Russell Harty's thinking... I'm not, I, there's something more yes. to this and I can't quite get there. And you get that feeling a lot, actually, with the interviews as you they do. go on, you, you as really the older do. he gets. There were rumours about him when I was a student. Yeah. And that's a long time ago and yeah. I don't believe that if I was hearing those rumours that other people hadn't heard them too. Um, this is not an easy watch. What I do appreciate about it is the terrible depravity of what he did is confined to a relatively short part of these documentaries now, yes, and it's not. It doesn't feel exploitative. They've got a brilliant woman who is very brave mm. and who tells us about what happened to her. But I don't feel there's too much of it actually. No, I was genuinely worried about that. But yeah. the first episode, which is about an hour and ten minutes, yeah, it's, it's lengthy, mm. is is about his sort of rise to fame and all these interviews and all of this footage. And then the ep- in episode two, that's when they start to talk about the crime. Yeah, I, I mean, I suppose what I'm left thinking and we probably need to move on, is just surely this wouldn't happen now. We would be wiser. We would ask more questions about people. But, you know, there's a part of me that wonders. Do you think uh, if if this hadn't have happened, if we didn't know about Savile, that we would be as aware? I don't know. I mean, maybe we need to ask questions about people generally who pursue fame to this degree. Yes. And we need to ask what their motives are. Yeah. Considering we're sitting here talking about television, it's slightly, um, <laughs> it's slightly I was, worrying. I idea. was shocked that the first, the sort of first official sex offender police department crackdown yeah. was in 1995. So, if you want to know more about Jimmy Savile and you you feel that you would learn something from this, in terms of just the footage, the footage, it's it amazing. is the footage. It's the fact that they've managed to sort of curate it in such a brilliant way yeah it's, it's worth looking at yeah. but um, you, you know not easy so that is Jimmy Savile a British horror story and it's available to watch on Netflix right now 
Now, boy, do we need a palate cleanser. Fortunately, we have got one. I've um, literally written palate cleanser in my you? review of this. Oh. <laughs> uh, we've also got Kellyanne's chat with uh, Masali Baduza from Noughts and Crosses to look forward to. But let's get into the gorgeous, just delightful Heartstopper, also on Netflix from this Friday, the 22nd of April. Uh, now, Rihanna, we heard from one of the show's stars, Joe Locke, last week. Uh, but this week we're doing a deep dive into the series. So fill us in. So it's about a teenage boy, Charlie Spring. He's at school and he's got a crush on... On one of his classmates, Nick, who he's who is a year above him. He plays rugby, but they sit together in form for the first time. Um, and it's just it's a series about falling in love, having a crush. Does this boy like him back? Um, which I honestly was sort of rolling my eyes at at the beginning, thinking, oh God, this is not for me. It's so YA. It's so young. It's so YA. And, oh my God, Jane, I loved it so Yes, much. I loved it too. No, I, I, listen, to say I was disgruntled at the thought of having to watch it would be would be an understatement. But we're a couple of miserable old bags, yeah, aren't we? Yeah, right pair of old <laughs> codgers in my case. But um, do you know what? It's just, it's it, to say, describe it as gentle... Is oh. sounds it's not quite enough actually. Although it is gentle, it is gentle. And I think for for anyone who's a parent who's got teenagers, perhaps thirteen, fourteen, so mm-hmm. relatively young, honestly, they would love this, and they will be in a place of happiness yeah. and security. Nobody swears. There's <laughs> there's no smut. It's just about teenage longing, and there's just a decency in this show. Yeah, um, I know exactly what you mean. You're I'm making trying, it I, sound a bit dry, but no, yeah. I don't. It's not. <laughs> all because it's it's just lovely. Let's have a listen. It's literally just another silly crush. It's not a crush. Hi. 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 Come on. Dream guy. I don't know. Just someone I can have a laugh with. He's the straightest person I have ever seen. Thank you. How do I stop liking someone? Specifically a straight guy. Uh, the question for the ages. We also, I love that right there we heard, and we heard this last week as well, mm-hmm. that he has a teacher who is his, essentially his role model. His gay, gay mentor. out teacher, yeah. which yeah, is yeah. lovely. I mean, how often do we see that? Well, we didn't see it at all in the 70s and the 80s. Yeah. I'm here to tell you that, Rianne. <laughs> that is new. There's also a trans character, Elle, who's moved to a new school. So they're at a boys' grammar school. Yeah. And Elle has moved to a to the girls' kind of opposite yeah. grammar school. If I was going to carp, I know we're not allowed to, to give away the identity, but um, Charlie's mum is played by a very well-known <laughs> leading British thespian. Yes, she is. Um, but this show is, everyone's got a lot... I mean, it kind of half doesn't matter, but everyone is middle class. It's They're both lovely schools yeah they all live in lovely houses mm-hmm. adults don't feature all that much no by which i mean parents apart from that one great teacher mm. adults generally are a little bit absent which isn't a bad thing no i actually quite like that because yeah. i guess in a teenager's brain they kind they of don't, they don't, they feature. don't. <laughs> no we might be onto something there um but great acting and i also really admire that this is adapted from um a young adult novel or a serial com- a graphic novel mm-hmm. i think by a young woman called alice Osman, who I think is really going places. She really is, if this is anything to go That's by. incredible. And I really liked the fact that initially I was like, oh, this isn't for me. And as Actually, soon as it's for it, everyone. It is for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and I, as soon as I started watching it, it just I'm so desperate to have this sort of downloaded so I can just watch it whenever, wherever. I just need a little pick-me-up and a, just mm. a little, oh, it sounds so saccharine, but just a little 
cuddle yeah. <laughs> almost because they they are inhabiting a world where yes bullies might exist there is um, a scene where he's kind of gets pushed up against a wall by another boy who isn't out and mm. doesn't want to be seen with him but no. also wants to sort of take advantage of him which is you know there is a scene very similar to that in sex education this is much more gentle and actually has a much better conclusion right I, I was going to ask you about comparisons to sex education because if anyone's thinking well this just sounds like sex education no it's younger it's absolutely not is it's it? much younger than sex it's, yeah. you know sex education i think is for adults as much as it is for teenagers yeah whereas this is well i was i mean we were right the first time it is unashamedly aimed at just about anyone who's ever been to school yes and ever fallen in love and ever just wondered whether it's reciprocated yeah and i and i think they do such a lovely job of that longing of that sort of is he going to text me back the hovering over texting because that that's so overdone often when you see text come up on screen and also what i wanted to talk about was the fact that we have this young man who is gay who is good at running he's good at sports he's a brilliant drummer he seems to be well liked he has friends and again that's something that we don't really see very well, often in a way the sexuality is kind of irrelevant yeah it's about being young and a bit unsure of yourself yeah and if you can't relate to that then you know perhaps you're only seven at the moment <laughs> um it's all i'll say but i mean i honestly I, I if you're looking for something just to cheer you up yeah and in total contrast to the previous subject we discussed this is lovely. Did you think that just great. Nick, who um, who is the love interest, yeah. is basically Julian from the Famous Five? That's kind of that very yeah. like clean cut, similar haircut, similar haircut, <laughs> <laughs> plays rugby. No. I was going to say I didn't like Julian, I liked Dick, but I thought that could be misinterpreted. <laughs> so Please let, clip that up. Yeah, no, let's not. <laughs> um, right, so that is Heartstopper on Netflix from Friday, the twenty second of April. And if you've got young teens in particular, tell them about it, or you can watch them, watch it with them. You watch know, them, watch you, it. You can, what, no. Don't, <laughs> Watch, the, watch, watch it with them. It's a lovely family moment, definitely. Right, um, coming up next, we've got Kellyanne Taylor's chat with Masali Badouza, who stars as Sefi in Noughts and Crosses. It starts on BBC One on the 26th of April at 10.40 and it runs for six weeks at that time. Also, of course, you can get it as a box set on the iPlayer as soon as the first episode has been shown. So for anyone who doesn't know about the greatness that is Mallory Blackman and <laughs> Noughts and Crosses, um, can you set it up for us, Rihanna? Mallory Blackman was one of my favourite authors. She's a star. Up. She is Phenomenal. She didn't talk down to her readers. She introduced me to loads of new topics that I wasn't really aware of, things in the world, really interesting ideas. She wrote a, a book called Pig Heart Boy, yeah. which was a huge hit. And I think that was made into a series it's at the a time. About transplant, wasn't it? Yeah, literally about a boy who had a heart transplant from a pig. She talked about bulimia in her books. You know, she was very on it with yeah. <laughs> what teenagers needed to be reading about and thinking about. So in Noughts and Crosses, it was like her way of reframing racism. She created a world which is kind of heavily influenced by different African cultures. Essentially, a what-if of what if Africa had colonised Europe instead of the other way around. So this is the second series. So we have Callum and Sefi. Sefi is the daughter of the Prime Minister, a cross, aka a black man. He's yeah. Black. Um, Callum is the son of their old housekeeper, a Nord, so he's white. They've, yeah, there's a lot of his, there's a lot of stuff that's gone yes. down in series one. There really is, yeah. But they have run away together. Sefi is pregnant with Callum's child. Hola. Hello. This call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow. Ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow. Now 
tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. Do you have weak, damaged hair? New Garnier Fructis hair filler systems fill hair with strength seven layers deep. In just one use, you can reverse up to one year of damage to hair smoothness. The sulfate-free hair filler plus vitamin CG system gives you up to 79% stronger hair and up to four times less breakage. New Garnier Fructis hair filler is available now on Amazon and at Walmart, Target, Ulta, Drug, and select grocery stores. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Which way? Where do we go now? Well, there's nowhere we can go. Not an Albion. Or Africa. What, what, what about Muscovy? Muscovy? Yeah. It's thousands of miles away. No, that's crazy. What? More crazy than anything else we've done. So if me and you having a baby, that, that's pretty crazy. Your bubble can't reach us in Muscovy. They're the enemy. If we can find a way to get there, I mean, there's, there's traffickers. Here's Kellyanne uh, asking Masali, who plays Sefi, uh, whether she felt pressure taking on a big, big story like this. The story is so relatable in this African context because it's literally apartheid but switched in reverse. So I could understand that. I could understand, you know, what it's like to have a minority ruling class. Like I understood those aspects of it. And at the end of the day, it's a love story, you know, so and that's universal story, a Romeo, Juliet type thing. Yeah, I wonder if we could talk about that because it's really interesting in the context of your upbringing in South Africa and apartheid had basically just ended. Did you kind of draw on any of your own experiences that you'd had and, and brought that in? Yeah, I, the world felt, um, although it was new material for me, it wasn't a far stretch of the imagination for me to imagine what it must be like in this world where where majority of the population are oppressed and are disadvantaged, although the ruling class are, are on, in their land. So I could relate to a lot of a lot of Sefi's journey, but also a lot of the North's journey as well, because I that's the experience that I've lived or live in the consequences of that. And I was very fortunate enough to go to a private school in South Africa. So I was around kids, especially, you know, white privileged kids who had a lot of affluence. So I, Sefi is in many ways, like drawn from the kids that I went to school with and like politicians' daughters, you know, I went to school with them. So yeah, Sefi, I could find her in many different places in my life and it all culminated into, into what you see on screen. And we spoke to Mallory Blackman before 
the first series. And she mentioned a few things. The first one was that she wrote Noughts and Crosses in the aftermath of Stephen Lawrence's death, which was racially motivated in 1993. And she also said that she wanted to be a teacher when she was young, but was told that Black people did not go to university. And I wonder if you've learned anything about your own perceptions of race or privilege that you've maybe discovered on this journey of, of shooting this series. That's a good question. Um, yeah, I've prior to this shooting of this TV show, I've been in the process of just unlearning a lot of racist ways in the society and also a lot of like subconscious conditioning that, you know, that our racist society puts on Black people and people of colour. And I think this show just highlighted that, that it's all a system. Like it's not, it's... It, it's within the microaggressions, it's in derogatory name-calling, but it also all goes back to the way that, you know, we function as a society. And I think that Sefi and Callum being together and, and wanting to be together in this world where it's, you know, it's frowned upon, it's illegal, they're fighting the system itself. And I think that for me, I've got to really, um, Mallory's work really shone in that light for me is that, yeah, they, you know, they're they're black and white and they're fighting to be together, they're not in crosses, but they're also, them being together is a rebellion against the system. And, and that's what is the important takeaway for me, is that we have to change the system and we have to fight the system because if the system is broken, nothing else can, you know, we can't put a, like a, <laughs> what is it? You can't put a plaster on a wound. Like you have to like disinfect it, you have to clean it, you have to like get all the gunk out, you have to rearrange stuff for, for it to be healed. That is Masali Baduza, the star of Noughts and Crosses, talking to Kellyanne Taylor from the Radio Times. Um, now, I watched only the first episode of the second series. I've seen some of the first series. Mm-hmm. The books absolutely went down a storm in our house. Yeah. And I'll always be grateful to Mallory Blackman for turning, really, turning the kids into readers because that's an amazing thing to do. Yeah. I think that's just an incredible achievement. Um, but I'm, if I'm honest... I prefer the books. Oh, 100%. I mean, oh, okay. the source material is always better, really. Yeah. I can't think of an instant where it isn't. But... Bridgerton? <laughs> you you see, have I you think... read the books? Um, no, but I gather the TV show is better than the books. Oh, wow. I'm just putting it out there. Must anyway, have been bad. Carry on. Well, <laughs> no, I'm joking. Obviously, I love Bridgerton. Yeah, I thought the books were... I think, so textured. <laughs> they yeah. had so much in them. They were huge books yes. as well. Um, and so in this, what I was slightly struggling with is the kind of the motivations of the characters. I wasn't really, I wasn't sure I really believed in the relationships between Sefi and Callum right. the whole way through. And if you don't believe in that relationship, then... It's it, kind of, it's the heart of the series. central to the whole thing. It is. Yeah. So I think Jack Rowan, who plays Callum, I don't love his performance either so it's all these kind of little bits but at the same time I am thinking the whole way through this feels slightly more YA in a way than the Heartstopper show does oh really okay. and just in terms of I don't mean about the age necessarily but it I don't know there's there's a universality mm. to Heartstopper like we were just talking about yeah. whereas with Noughts and Crosses it feels like you very much have to concentrate to get into this world which is absolutely fine by the way I just don't think they do enough of rewarding the audience okay for being into it 
I was. I, I, I feel maybe if the BBC had a bit more faith in it, they'd put it on at nine o'clock at night. Mm. Now I know that the target audience aren't going to care when yeah. it's on because they'll probably watch it anyway. Yes. But ten forty at night suggests to me that they're saying to terrestrial viewers. It's a bit late for you. Yeah, don't a, worry about it. You better it. be going to bed now. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's time for you. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm thinking in a very old-fashioned, linear way about television. But yeah. I am. Sl- That's not so much of a concern, I guess. No, but, but I just think if, if the BBC knows it's got a drama banker, it yes. goes on at nine, the doesn't split. it? Yeah, it, absolutely. The split. You know, that, that sort of show. Yeah. Yes. And it's a, an amazing concept. What an incredible concept. idea. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean about Manu Blackman being a genius. Yeah. Because on the, on the, you know, it seems it's a simple idea. Well, no one else bloody had it, did they? No, and she flipped absolutely everything yeah. and it's so and you know of course we know this and it, I was thinking about this on my way in and it's like isn't we don't need to have it we don't need to have white audiences fed but what if it was you on the other end of police brutality mm, except mm. maybe you do I think you do and yeah. you know I was thinking actually that is the it, that's the crux of this, isn't it? It's about sort of making every kind of microaggression into something much bigger, making people aware of absolutely how race is everything. I just, I'm not sure this series pulls it off. To look at, though, it is gorgeous. I think they do such a clever job of bringing in all of these different cultures and weaving them in. And, and it's just such a pleasure not just to see the usual kind of clothes, for example, that we see, the usual architecture that we see. Um, so I think all of those influences, I think it looks very, very cool. I think it's just the acting. Okay, now, well, you're here to criticise and you just have. I feel bad. I feel genuinely bad because it's something that I feel quite strongly. No, you, well, it, sometimes there are shows that you want to love, yeah. but for whatever reason, it doesn't, doesn't resonate. You be true to yourself, girl. Thanks, stick, Jane. Stick with it. Uh, podcast at com. if you just think Rihanna Dillon is ill-informed <laughs> and doesn't... Jane! <laughs> and doesn't get... No, I mean, I, I, I'm with you, actually. I wanted to like it more than I did. Uh, it's Noughts and Crosses. starts on BBC One, Tuesday the 26th of April, at 10.40 and then you can get the box set um, of course if it is very much your thing Now you talked about Tan France and uh, we know him from Queer Eye and he's now made this documentary Beauty and the Bleach it is out on BBC Two Wednesday the 27th of April at 9 o'clock and this is about colourism Rihanna you better just explain exactly what that is. So, yeah, so Town France, he's my favourite of the Fab Five. He's from, is from, he from Bradford, he is, isn't he? He's from Doncaster. Doncaster, OK. Yeah, and uh, so he's Pakistani, and when he was younger, he bleached his skin to be paler because he was made to feel ashamed of how brown he was. So now, as an adult, he's looking back, he's reflecting, he's talking to people all over the world about their experiences with colourism. So colourism is, is more kind of people saying negative and derogatory things about others of their own race, typically those with darker skin. So let's hear a clip from Beauty and the Bleach and then you'll hear my interview with Tan France. So, uh, who are you? God, that's a really good question. (laughs) I'm Tan France, what else do you want to know? People know me as a stylist and presenter on the global hit show, Queer Eye. I am the person who bolsters self-esteem through uh, clothing. Check me out. (laughs) My hope is that I get to teach people how to love themselves. But what people don't know is that I've had to struggle with my own self-image and fight something called colorism my whole life. It's where you're not only judged by the color of your skin, but by the shade of it, how light or dark you are. 
And that was a clip of Beauty and the Bleach. Tan France, welcome to the Radio Times podcast. Hi. <laughs> um, I want to congratulate you on such an interesting and accessible look at colorism. It's something that I haven't really seen explained in this sort of detail before on our screen. So when did you first hear about and understand the term colorism? I didn't hear of the term probably until just a few years ago, maybe even three or four years ago. I've known of the notion my entire life. Mm. I just wouldn't have been able to apply a name to it. And as soon as I started to understand what the term colorism meant, I, I thought, oh gosh, duh. Uh, I've experienced this my entire life. I've seen this all over the world. How do we not know more about it? How did I never know this term before? I would like to believe that I'm the kind of person that keeps up on uh, relevant terminology. Um, but this one uh, passed me by for a long time. Like with racism, I sort of feel like stereotypical personality traits are also attributed wrongly to the yeah. colour of people's skin. Do you think yeah. that exists within colorism, or is it just like fairer is seen as more beautiful is the sort of general thing? Many feel like the lighter you are, the more successful you'll be. Um, but I think racism definitely plays into it. I think that uh, so many of our elders in particular, um, or people who are outside of... Um, the West, who aren't exposed to the kind of media we're exposed to, feel a lot of internalised racism. That was one of possibly the most devastating moments when you go into a school, which, by the way, how brave of you, because going to a school terrifies me. I will say it was a thing I was most nervous about, but I thought that they would see me as some boomer who was so out of touch. And I thought they would have laughed me out of the classroom saying, of course, there's no such thing as colorism anymore in our generation. You oldies are, are the ones who are screwed up. We're fine. I found it fascinating. Yeah, that was quite devastating, wasn't it, to hear about the fact that that, that sort of inherited, internalised racism, yeah. colorism is still ongoing. And yeah. you sort of talk about that cycle a little bit. Do you sort of feel like there is hope about breaking that? I, I can't remember if it was edited out, but I do remember distinctly saying, can't imagine it's going to happen in my lifetime because it's been 20 years probably 25 since I was in high school and nothing has changed as far as colorism is concerned. Um, mm. And so if nothing shifted in 25 years, it would be probably naive of me to believe that with just a documentary or just opening people's eyes, that colorism is something we could get rid of uh, within the next few years. I, I don't think it's going to happen in my lifetime. I don't know if it's going to happen in my grandchildren's lifetimes. There was a really beautiful moment where you're talking about how much you love the colour of your skin. Yeah, really. Can you sort of break down that like transitional period of acceptance for you of realising, actually, I like now what I see. Uh, yeah. I love my skin. I, you will hear me say, and I've said it so many times publicly, and I know a lot of people find it offensive, but I say I don't need a white person to save me. I don't need a white knight. I am over that. And I yeah. have been for a bloody long time. However, it was white people showing me the beauty of my skin the people who I was attracted to, people who I fell in love with, who uh, finally saw me for more than just how dark my skin was. It was more celebrated than anything. That was the first time I thought, gosh, yeah, it is nice. I mean, I've been very happy with my skin for a very long time. However, I think those few years were really formative in my early dating years that made me see how lovely my skin color is. And it's funny, when I first started dating my now husband, you know, you ask those silly questions like, what's your favourite colour? We didn't ask those because mm -hmm. I would have ended the date there. However, <laughs> one of the questions um, he had asked was, 
is there anything about your physical about your physicality that you love that actually makes mm. you feel really good and i said yeah i feel a lot of power in my my beautiful skin i think my skin's a beautiful shade when you sort of come to terms with like your body shape for example yeah. the acceptance that comes with that is you feel like you finally look good in certain clothes yeah. you find a style yeah. that you're happy with where do you think oh this is a moment where I would have been unhappy with the colour of my yeah, skin, yes, but yes, I feel yes, so yes. happy. Up mm. until that point, you are so governed by how you perceive your skin. What will I achieve in life? And you are hindered by it almost. That, and I'm not talking about hindered by your skin, your opinion of your skin colour. I think once you get over that and you start to see it for what it is, which is beautiful, you afford yourself a freedom that was never there before, which means I can achieve everything that other person can achieve. Why can't I? Just mm. because my color is this color doesn't mean I can't do the things that that other person with light skin or lighter skin than mine can achieve. I think that's what it does for us. I think that's what it does for people who have had body issues or body hangups and they finally feel like they love the skin that they're in, the body that they're in. It opens up a door that never was available to them that just says, you get to live. As simple as that, you get to live a life. I, I used to fantasize about it as a kid. I used to say to my siblings, could you imagine how nice it is to walk out of the house being white? To not think even for a second about your skin color. And I asked my husband, and I'm um, almost every friend I have in Utah, I live in Salt Lake City, Utah primarily, it's, it's not very diverse, but they're mostly white. Um, and I said, did you ever think ever about your skin color? And they're like, no other than, oh, we should probably wear sunblock today because it's very sunny in Salt Lake. No. And I was like, gosh, how lovely that must feel. Mm. I thought about it every time I left that damn house. Mm. My earliest memories how how bloody freeing it must have been to just mm. leave the house thinking i've got all kinds of problems but my skin ain't one but thinking about podcasts that i've been listening to like um, masala podcast or brown girls do it too which are about the lives of south asian women it kind of got me thinking about how ethnic minorities are always kind of pitted against each other like yeah. i'm always relieved when i see kind of people of color starring in a film but it's so rare yeah. that they're asian you know if someone isn't white often they're kind of they're black so how yeah. can we sort of be allies but also support our individual communities without it being like in constant competition it kind of has to be competitive to really carve out a space for ourselves and, and i don't mean to be competitive when i take on a job even still I, 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 this is going to sound incredibly arrogant but there aren't that many of us salvations that have a global platform yeah and, and so i am in that position yet i still feel competition for those jobs thinking if I don't, if I don't get that job, there are only like yeah. two jobs available for us. You can't right. help but feel it. Mm -hmm. But that's what the industry's done to us. That's what media's done to us. It's made us fight so hard for the every crumb we get. Nasfim Hack is the commissioning editor yeah. for BBC Factual, and she was the one who commissioned this documentary. Yeah. Which is, she is a woman of color. So, would you think this documentary could have existed without a person of color being like, "Come in, let's get this made." I, I, I might be doing the BBC a disservice when I say this, but it's not to denigrate the BBC at all. They've been a mm -hmm. fantastic partner. I don't know if it would have been commissioned without the likes of Nasvim commissioning it. However, the BBC had the foresight to hire somebody like Nasvim to 
make sure that our people are represented. And so I'm I'm absolutely speaking in their favour. But Nasvim is the one who championed the success of this documentary and has done the entire time. There was a time, quite honestly, when I was going to back out and not do it. I had my baby way earlier than we expected. And Mm -hmm. I, I just didn't think I had bandwidth because it was within the first three months of his life. And I was having to travel to the UK for quite some time to leave him and work. However, she was the one who really championed the success of this documentary and made it very clear, we need this. Even though we know we need you to take care of your child we also need this there aren't that many of you who can do this and she's the reason why this documentary got picked up how did you cope with the pressure to go on that sort of personal journey as well and come to some sort of conclusion and go through something yourself when I was thinking of doing this documentary I thought this is the reason why I'm doing it this is my north star it's not that I need to do documentary not to be crass documentaries don't Mm -hmm. pay well Hollywood pays really well. British documentaries don't. That's just the way it is. Uh, And I just had a child. Did I need to spend my time in the UK? No. So there was no reason, uh, financially, career-based, that that would have been the reason why I should do this documentary. The North Star was, what does this do for my children? Mm. And so when I decided to do the documentary, it was, what what could he take from this? in 20 years time when he's old enough uh, if he's ever had any doubts what could he take away from this and hopefully it's confidence in who he is and his humanity in general um, and what has his father done to do all he can to make the world as decent of a place as possible there isn't much I can do but I will use as much of my power as I can That was Tan France talking to Rihanna about his documentary Beauty and the Bleach and actually it is very much his documentary isn't it? Yeah he seems incredibly involved and he obviously as you heard there was making a lot of the decisions and Mm. saying yes and no to a lot of big things Yeah. And he himself, I mean, he's very, very honest Mm. and he talks about his own use of bleaching agents, but not since he was in his teens. Yeah. Right. What makes this programme important and and what I admire about it is it makes very clear to white people like myself that these criticisms are coming from within communities communities, and in some cases from family members. Mm. Now, that isn't to say that white families don't judge other members of their family on their appearance. No. Because they do, but not in the same way. No, I, you know, colorism isn't something that I've experienced in my family. And also a lot of my cousins are dual heritage as well as me. Um, but in the, so in the doc, he kind of talks about the caste system. And I remember because, you know, I've, I've always wanted to be as dark as possible um, because that's how I've grown up thinking about beauty, I suppose. Um, and, so I tan as much as I possibly yeah, can. Yeah. You know what you were saying about factor fifty. Yes. I'm like, I'll wear factor five if I must. Oh, I know it's terrible for my I just skin. Say, do be careful. I know it's terrible for my skin. Absolutely, Oof. I've got better as I've got older. Yeah, no, you can buy factor five. <laughs> yes, you can. Um, yeah, it's it's not a good. But again, that comes. This is about our internalized mm. ideas of how we look best, I suppose. But I I guess on a base archaic level, if you were darker in India, it meant that you were working in the fields and therefore you were poorer. I hope people will watch it. It's uh, Beauty and the Bleach, BBC Two, Wednesday the 27th of April at nine o'clock. Actually, if I've got a criticism, it's that I don't like the title. Oh, the title is naff. Yeah, it's awful. I agree. It makes you want to not watch it. Yeah. Because you think it's going to be a reality show. It's not naff. Do watch it. 
I gather that there is something else you want to sneak in this week. It's very untoward. What I know, I'm sorry. Of? It's just such a, it's such a busy week. There's so much good TV on. This is something called All the Way Up, or Valide, because it's French. And it's on Studio Canal Presents, which we've not talked about before, but it's essentially a, another streaming platform, which you can get a free trial for at the moment. Um, so it's about a group of friends. One is a drug dealer who's trying to make ends meet, and he gets a chance to rap on air in front of his music hero, which completely changes the game for him. It's like me just coming in here and doing my reviews in front of my radio hero. Yeah. Mm. It's exactly what it is. I, it's, yes, it is. Yeah, right. I'll, I'll just go with that just for the sake of it. <laughs> I like shows that give us an insight into lives that we don't necessarily know ourselves. And I don't know about the rap scene in France. <laughs> I, I confess, nor do I. You'll be amazed to hear. <laughs> this This kind of launches us straight in through funny, likeable characters. And we kind of learn about their lives through the music rather than exposition or, you know, slightly clunky dialogue, um, which really makes a change. And I'm really, I've only seen one episode, but I'm looking forward to seeing more. And I do hope people see it because it's because it's on a smaller platform. Yeah. It won't get the same audience. I like this idea. I think every week maybe you should just come up with something that's a little bit niche. A little left field. And a little bit left field. And then people can talk about it at a dinner party. If anyone goes to a dinner party, they can say, have you seen All the Way Up? It's on Studio Canal. And it will just, people will say, no, they haven't. And you'll just be able to just stand out a little give bit. Give them an edge. Yeah, yeah give, give yourself an edge with Rihanna's top tip of the week. Quiz time. Next up, what we watched. What have you got? This was the year that the dynamite duo, not us, Joanna Lumley, and Jennifer Saunders mm -hmm. debuted absolutely fabulous. Oh. It ran for five seasons. It had a spin-off movie. Working in PR has never been the same. Here's a clip. Darling. Pat, darling. Sweetie, Pat. your car's here. I thought I might scrounge a coffee. No, well, Di, I can't. I'm in a drug call. I can't. Saf is here, though, all right? What are you wearing, Eddie? La Croix. It's fabulous. Good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of liked Abfab, but I was never a massive fan. I haven't seen it all the way through. Haven't I was you? just a little bit behind, I think. Yeah, I'm sure I've mentioned it before, but I am in the film. Yeah, um, you, you remember that. It's my only IDM, IBM, what's it called? IDMB? You know when you get IMDB. your... IMDB. IMDB, yeah. It's my only credit. <laughs> Better than nothing. The second one is over the course of 13 years, this is the... Oh, gosh, I love this programme. This is the programme that elevated Dame Judi Dench to national treasure status. As time goes oh, by. as time goes by. Yeah. Um, so that appeared on our screen in this year, right. alongside Jeffrey Palmer, who was one of my all-time small screen heroes. He is He's wonderful. the ultimate sitcom hobby. He's just wonderful. Great, isn't great he? actor, yeah. Moira Brooker, Philip Bretherton, and in this clip, Lionel, played by Jeffrey Palmer, is in denial that he's losing his hearing. <laughs> this is making me laugh before it's even started. Well, firstly, no one said anything about an ear trumpet. Secondly, you are not missing the odd word. You are missing more and more words all the time. Rubbish. No, Mum's right, Lionel. This morning, when I asked you if Mum was in the kitchen, you didn't even answer me. That's because I didn't know. Well, what about when I came in last night? I said, I've been to a rugby match. And you said, yes, I did. England won. Well, they did. Oh, really? Look, before we start oh, really consider this. I think that all three of you have got unnaturally soft voices. Oh, <laughs> oh yes, you have. It's just a conversation in my house yeah, actually, with my dad. Uh, maybe I should revisit those shows. That sounds genuinely funny. <laughs> Any more? In our final clue, it's 
a lot less fun. Mm. It's a roundtable debate on the aftermath of a devastating election night for the Labour Party, which saw John Major's Conservatives clinch the win. It's chaired by Peter Sissons for the BBC and Tony Blair defends that night's outcome for Labour. Ooh, whatever happened to him? Tony Blair, the, um, what's your analysis of the reason for Labour's defeat? We had a tremendous leap to come from to actually win an overall majority. We, of course, took many, many seats. I mean, our sense of disappointment, obvious sense of disappointment, must be balanced by the sense of achievement that we took so many seats in different parts of the country. But it was too much to do, so it now appears, to actually win an overall majority. But we have vastly reduced the Conservative majority, down from, what, around about 100 seats to less than a fifth of that. Uh, I'm going to say 1992. You are absolutely right. Hooray! <laughs> wow, absolutely brilliant. Well Tony, done. Tony Blair sounds so young and he, much posher than he, he went does. on to sound. He, he yeah. then became a man of the people, Very don't forget. So. Yes. Right, um, the Radio Times is out today. You make sure you get your copy. Otherwise, otherwise, she said lisping, the neighbours will talk. And if you want to make sure you get your copy of the Radio Times every week, you can subscribe by going to buysubscriptions.com forward slash Radio Times. If you want a list of the shows we've talked about and where to find them, you can go to the episode notes wherever you get your podcast. Do follow to get episodes of the Radio Times podcast as soon as they pop out. OK, who is the Radio Times podcast produced by? Don't change up the words and confuse me. Something else. And who's it done for? Immediate media. Oh, you see. Brilliant. Okay. um, Take care. Thanks for listening. Have a good week. Bye.